welcome back to the show. I'm Evelyn, and today I've got my friend Meredith on with me. And this is super exciting for me because I actually had Meredith when she was in college. I was her RA. And um, this is actually the first time I'm like seeing her um, in the flesh, not through pixels and messaging um, in years. And for those of you who don't know Meredith, she has the most gorgeous hair like she has this mane of curls that I've just always wanted for myself selfishly because my hair sticks straight I'd give them to you (laughs) well um but thank you so much for being here I would love for you to just tell everyone a little bit about you and what you're up to in the world well Evelyn thank you for for having me here today um I am so honored to be here that, that you reached out to me had to share my story. Um, well, I am uh, a little 30 year old from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, you and I, um, our, our paths cross at Georgetown college. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. Even if it be a brief moment before I came back to Bowling Green, um, you made an impact on me. Um, my, my journey, uh, I grew up in church and daughter of a preacher, um, went to college, um, became severely depressed and, um, was diagnosed with depression. Um, and also found out I was severely anemic. Um, my journey then kind of turned into a medical journey where I had to come back home and, um, my depression was met with, um, shame. Um, I was told that if you are depressed, you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart and you are not saved. And also with my anemia, I had to be put on birth control. And that also was doubly shamed because if you're on birth control, you're obviously a whore. And um, there's no room for birth control in, in the Christian culture, which is very sad. Um, and then I um, ended up going seven years without seeing a therapist while being severely depressed and medicated. Um, and I just wasn't able to, to get well um, until um, back in 2017, I finally was able to get connected with a, a therapist despite my family's um, wishes. And, um, I have greatly benefited from having, um, a licensed counselor, a licensed therapist. And, um, I'm here to say you can, you can love Jesus. You can love your community and you can also have a therapist no matter what your journey is. I'm curious too. So what was that journey like for you? You know, bridging that gap the first time that you went into therapy, um, when you were able to go back in 2017, what was that experience like for you? In the beginning, it was almost like a betrayal because you family matters stay with family, no matter how toxic. Um, but when I was able to start learning coping mechanisms, um, started to uh, kind of unpack the baggage of, of shame that was never mine, guilt that was never mine, um, I was able to realize that it's not me. It was just a broken, you know, system in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the beginning, when my family, when I told my family, uh, that I was seeing therapy, I remember my father in particular, like, felt very disrespected. Um, even though he has a degree, a master's in family marital counseling. Um, so it, but I think what my family learned to kind of accept this about me is I was the best version of me that they've seen in over a decade. Um, so there I go, obviously Meredith is getting something from this. Let's go ahead and support her. 
So I'll never go into details about what I talk about in therapy because I don't want to be hurtful. I don't want to bring up past things that we don't need to work on. Um, but uh, the the journey has has been interesting. Um, and being able to have share my journey and hear other people tell me, hey, um, actually got a therapist this week or hey, um, I started doing telehealth. Um, is make, it makes me feel really good about myself because I know whatever your journey is, having that professional who's there, who's giving you an unbiased, you know, um, help um, is wonderful. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. And tell me too, aren't you also pursuing or have, don't you have a degree now to practice as well? So I do not yet. Um, so I, because I was derailed with depression in the middle, actually the beginning, in the beginning of my bachelor's degree, um, I, it took me 12 years to secure a bachelor's degree. So it took me three times the, the, the amount, the time than anyone else would. And so I just graduated this past May with a bachelor's in uh, corporate and organizational communication from Western Kentucky University. And now I'm in the process of um, doing application for grad school, um, with a WKU for their, um, counseling program. So with a focus on family marital counseling, so Lord willing, um, I'm able to, um, make that happen. Um, uh, my GPA is, is a little better than abysmal. Um, but, uh, trying to go to school while figuring out medication, but not having a therapist, Whew, I don't recommend it to anyone. Um, I, uh, if I could do it all over again, I would, I would have, you know, started seeing a therapist back in 2010. Um, and hopefully that would have expedited my, my journey. But um, I do believe everything happens for a reason and that I needed the scenic route, whether it be for my own growth or for someone else's growth. Um, I believe there's a reason for that. I love how you phrase that, the scenic route, mm-hmm. because I do, I agree with you. I love, I love the nuances of what you will be able to understand about other people who have some of that same trauma um, and some of the same understanding of, of what you can readily see because you have walked through that before. And I think there's so much value in someone sitting down with you and going, Hey, like I, I see you. I don't exactly understand your experience but I have had a similar experience and I'll sit with you here in this and we can talk about it and this is safe. So I think there's so much richness in that, the scenic route. I'm curious too, you know, uh, I saw a little bit of body language too around. It took me 12 years. Mm -hmm. Do you have shame around that? I did for the longest part um, because in my family. So each, each semester I was like, I don't think I have the energy in me to, to sign up for classes next semester. Um, and I can remember approaching my pay, my family, cause I was working during school the whole time. So it wasn't just school and home. Um, and I, I never had the full college experience after Georgetown. Um, the only time I lived on a campus was Georgetown. Cause when I came back home, it was, um, I was met with my uh, father resigning from his position at church, um, due to a lie that was, um, told about him by another preacher. And, uh, um, so he resigned, um, uh, 
because he he decided to follow church constitution. He's like, we're not going to follow church constitution. I, I don't need to be here. Um, and so when I came back home from going to my private Christian school and they're like, okay, you're going to go to just Western. And I laugh at that now because um, it's a wonderful school. Um, I grew so much with the school, but when it's your hometown college, you know, you put that just in front of it. And um, so I went from that being that cute little girl who went to a private Christian school, the only school she applied for to just Western and then um, being too ill to really be a, the student, you know, you are. Um, and then telling my parents, Hey, uh, I'm not feeling too well. I need a semester off. And um, my parents greet me with um, Kilgore's aren't quitters. And uh, so you're running on empty, running on fumes. You know, you're not going to make it, but you can't, you know, let go of anything. Uh, when I came back from Georgetown, they told me, make yourself as financially light as possible. So I'm thinking like, oh no, like, are we losing the house? Are we going to be, you know, having to do this? You know, what's, what's going on? I knew enough to worry. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the details. So I didn't know what the status was. Um, and so when it came to my last bit of energy reserve, I gave it to my job because I thought we needed money. And so um, looking back at my 12 years of, of Fs and, you know, with, withdrawing from class and um, there's actually a special grade called FN, which is they give you that because you just didn't show up. Um, I have all those on my transcript. Um, and just I there's that shame of of not being able to complete my degree because a lot of people just assumed, oh, Meredith's a Kilgore, like she's smart. She's, she's got good parents. She's got it, you know, she's got it going on. And I was like, no, like I decided to, I, I, I hid behind quite a few um, facades. Um, oh, when I transferred my, my, all my credits didn't happen. So I'm going to be a super senior this year or, oh yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to walk, but I didn't actually graduate. So I went to commencement, but I didn't have all the, the, uh, the classes I need to graduate yet. Um, so I always had all these, these reasons, um, or, um, I said, Hey, I got promoted at my job. I decided to take a semester off and focus on, on work, uh, when, when that happened, um, because I didn't believe actually backtracking because you have eight years to complete your degree, um, before they wipe it clean. And so on year seven, I tried, um, really hard. Uh, I had a major breakup that derailed me. I moved back in with my parents. I've always lived in this apartment by myself, so no cohabitation, um, but I didn't like the feeling of being alone and seeing myself alone. Um, and so I, while I was recovering from that depressed episode, um, I remember thinking I really blew it. Like this was my last chance to, to complete this degree this, after the semester at that eight years is done. Um, and so I just hid behind, um, uh, shame because I didn't complete it. I didn't, everyone in my family has, um, a four-year degree, um, or they have a master's and a doctorate. Um, my sister has two undergrads and here I can't, I can't get it right. Um, so it wasn't until I actually walked and graduated this past time that that, I, that shame went away and it's no one but myself. And there's no reason to carry that shame. Yeah. Well, my dad um, used to say, because <laughs> I think he, I think he was a five year and he always used to say, well, I squeezed five or 
four years into five is how he's <laughs> love it. <laughs> yes. Which I love. So I think too, you know, I don't remember the statistic, but actually a lot of people who end up going to college end up never completing. Um, I want to say it was like 60 to 70%. There's like a dropout rate across the United mm-hmm. States. Um, and so I also want that to be something that we start considering that, you know, that college degree is not necessarily the way forward for every person. And, but I think for you and your circumstances as well, you know, continuing to navigate all of that while you were going through so much internally, like, I think that still speaks to so much of, of who you are, because what I saw in you that freshman year um, was this, you were so vibrant even when you would go into some of that depression, you still had so much positivity about you. There was still this light that would just emanate from you. And so I am, I'm really proud of you for being able to um, seek that out for yourself and to have the journey that you've been on. Um, And I'm excited for you as you move forward into your future as well, because I see so much um, of your own vibrancy and joy that's going to help come alongside people and walk through this process of of healing. So I'm I'm, um, honored that you're here. And I I wonder too, in that you you touched on it a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. but do you, your dad was a pastor. Yeah. He yeah. actually still is. So he, he retired back in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. but he still does um, ministry for independent churches, um, to help them look for their forever pastors. So if they're in between pastors, um, pulpit filler, just in case the preacher's on vacation or uh, on a destination wedding. Um, so he, he's still in the ministry, even though he's retired, he, yeah. he can't let it go. Well, something I thought was interesting because my dad was a pastor as well, you know, something I have started to recognize in myself the last few years is that something that has been ingrained in me since I was very little is that people are watching. It's your responsibility to set an example. And although I agree with that to a certain extent, I do think that people don't understand the weight that comes with carrying that forward for their children. Um, And I can only speak from my own experience, but that's something um, I had a coach actually back at the beginning of 2020, who I'd been working with for several years. She's a business coach. And she said, she, I was, I was going through, uh, I had a question, I was working through something and she stopped me and she said, Evelyn, every time we have a discussion around some of this, the first thing you say is that you were a pastor's kid. She said, what would it look like if you were just Evelyn? And I was like, whoa, that is intense. I'm going to need some time, (laughs) you know, because there was this recognition almost around, and I'm so glad she said it because there was some deconstruction that I'm still like working through and will probably continue, you know, working through as far as what does that look like for you to just be yourself? 
And so it was very, very powerful. Um, and do you relate? <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I, I love the fact that you are sharing this as well, because it was like a, a light bulb moment for me. Like, yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, is I, I, I think we say we're a pastor's kid or a preacher's kid when, when we're about to say something to basically justify it and to qualify it when our things are, are valid already. Um, I also think it's almost like a, an unintentional baggage check where you're like, Hey, I got some trauma right here. Just don't mind me. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. So I'm going to say the things, um, because if any other profession, people wouldn't care, you know, Oh, I'm a teacher's kid. Oh, um, I'm a coal miner's daughter or any other profession. People would be like, so, um, but for some reason with, with us pastor's kids, we're all like, I'm PK right here. Like we even have a thing, like a PK. Um, and it, it, it's really silly once you kind of remove the religious lens from it, because it's just an, another job. Um, but for me, I've always known that I'm on a stage, not a pedestal, a stage. Because when you're, your father's a preacher, your family is a, in service. We're in servitude to the church. Um, and that meant a lot of the times, um, you know, I'm not blaming my father for this, but he had to like renege on some things like he would say he would do with me, um, like our daddy daughter time. Um, if someone got sick and had to go to the hospital, hey, we're going to have to cancel date night. I got to go to the, to the hospital. Um, and I remember I wasn't allowed to be upset about it because, you know, Meredith, someone needs your dad more than you do right now. And I just had to be cool with it. Six, six years old, seven years old. Okay. You had something you looked forward to all week and it can't happen and you can't be upset about it. Yeah. That's, that's gonna manifest as, as something when you're, when you're an adult. Um, and also thinking people are watching you when they probably aren't kind of gets a little, makes you a little paranoid at times. Um, cause yeah, they might look at you when you're a little girl in church, so you know, okay. Does her dress have enough frills in it? Um, is she sitting like a lady in the pew? Um, is she modest enough? Oh yes, like is she involved in enough church things? Um, will she be doing any mission trips this this summer? Um, yeah, all the things that don't really matter. Um, and um, the, the more I I looked at that, because um, I, I I do question Christianity regularly um, in in my walk, um, and just like okay do we follow this because it's scripture or because it's culture and just being convicted in, in whatever my, my heart leads me to. And a lot of it, I've noticed a lot of the unsavory things, um, I would say is culture. Um, that's why I, I, I drink as an adult. Um, other Southern Baptists would say, Ooh, that that's, that's a sin. Um, but when I go back to scripture, it, it's, it's not, um, it's just the overindulgence that that self-control that you need. Um, so, um, go, go way, way back to, um, preacher's kid. Yeah. Um, I, I am there with you hundred uh, percent on that. Um, and we are an odd bunch. Um, and I think we always somehow find each other. Maybe it's because we always say I'm a PK and we're just like, Oh, let's talk about it. Um, but yeah, that I, I can see even as an adult, there's still some things I'm, I'm unpacking. Well, you know, it's interesting. I do think it's, it's interesting. I'd never really considered 
the thought too that no one's like well my mom's a lawyer or my dad's a pediatrician or that's an interesting thing to notice the elevation or the you know uh the separation i had people too growing up even now they'll say so your pastor's kid what was that like and i'm like well i don't have anything to compare it to this is all i've yeah. known so i can give you my experience I can give you my own perspective and my own, you know, lens for how all of those things went down. Um, but it's interesting too. I, I actually read, I've not read it all, but Michelle Obama's Becoming, there's like mm -hmm. a section in it where she talks about how when she Barack, and Barack, you know, when he stepped into the Oval Office as president and accepted that that she and he had become a part of such a small group of people who would ever know what that experience was actually like. Because so few people have had to walk through being president and first lady. And I thought that's profound and something I actually really relate to because although there are many pastors, so this group is larger, still, when you look at a community as a whole, there's still, um, there's something about it. Maybe even it, it reminds me a little bit of grief as I now process through that, where you don't know until you've actually had to walk through it, what it feels like to be under, I guess for me, maybe like a microscope at times, but you don't know, like that's just your reality. Like this is just the way that things are. Um, I thought it's interesting too. Um, I, I never... I never had, I guess, I don't think I ever had the messaging from my family that therapy would be like encroaching on family business, but I do like get the, it's almost like it's not therapy, but the same token of watch what you say and how you say and how you represent us as a family, because again, you have that responsibility and you're always yeah. going to be reflecting our leadership, which is a lot to put on your kids, I think. Now, and mm -hmm. I feel like parents have to regularly feel this. I'm not yeah. a parent, um, but I would imagine even, even when I've been in childcare so much, when a, you know, a kid's acting out, and you're like, oh gosh, like it's going to look like it's my fault, <laughs> you know, but they're just being themselves. So anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but that reminded me of that portion in her book because that's really true. Like there's just this subsect for us. Oh, I, I agree. Um, and uh, um, I, I don't, I'm saying this in a loving way. Like I, I had a great childhood, but like I wasn't really allowed to truly be a child. Um, we always had to have good emotions. So positive emotions, mm -hmm. negative emotions. There was not a time and a place for it. Um, and I had to learn how to cope with negative emotions. I say negative because there really aren't any bad emotions, but you know, like sad, angry, mad, you know, those bad emotions on my own, there, there wasn't a time and a place for it. Um, and, uh, uh, learning as an adult that like all emotions are valid has really just rocked my world um and um I also know that kind of makes sense with kind of what you were saying about 
being a, a, a preacher's kid, everyone is watching and um, you need to be rainbow, sunshine, butterflies, because if you misbehave or if you have the wrong emotion, um, it impacts your father's ministry. Um, it could impact your family's financial future. Um, and of course, they're not going to tell you all of that then and there in the moment. Um, but we can pick up on things when we're children. Um, and I, I don't know if, if this was your, um, was, if this was your reality, but we would, I would always hear from, from church members, um, you are, um, you know, wise beyond your years, um, or, um, telling my sister and, and me that we were acting like, like adults and that, you know, we'd always get compliments about how we were like little grownups. And now that I'm older, I'm just like, Ooh, oof, like, no, um, wow. Um, I do believe we were well behaved. Um, but, um, I think a lot of it was conditioning and, and I'm trying to say that in a very positive way. I was, I was not abused. I had, I have wonderful parents. Um, but church culture is a big thing. Um, and I think we should give, um, the families of preachers, every allowance we would give anyone of any other profession. And I don't think currently we do. Yeah. I guess it's a dance too. You know, it's like that scripture in Luke where it talks about to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I think we should have um, expectations for people in leadership as far as um, them being integrity, but also being willing to understand when there's elements of humanity and still coming alongside when those things come through and allowing that. I think there's so much stress in church leadership to posture as if everything is okay. And it's very stressful because I, I mean, I watched this some even, um, with my dad, I felt like he actually carried so much for so many people, not just himself that, um, and I don't think he felt safe a lot of times in admitting how stressed he was or showing some of those vulnerabilities because people would see that as weakness yeah. or that he wasn't capable of leading at that level. Um, and I still think that's a balance, right? There's a balance that has to be struck there between sharing your wounds um, and then asking people to come in and heal those when, you know. So I just say that too. There's still a balance that has to be struck, I think. Oh, I agree. Um, I, um, I, I do agree with, with scripture about, you know, how um, more, more or less, um, my, my family's a little unusual, my, my mother's the breadwinner. So like, but she's still subservient to my father and a very like, we're a matching team kind of thing. So I do believe that men lead the household. Um, and that just like in the church, um, the children need to be, um, I guess examples in a way, but like, as in you're able to lead your, lead your family and you can enable the church. I feel weird saying all this stuff. Um, but I think we should afford humanity um, to them, like you were saying. Um, hey, you know, Scott Kilgore's daughter's acting wild again. She dialed her hair purple. Instead of, you know, going to like, you know, 
causing a fuss about it and just be like, oh, well, I hope that she enjoys her journey. You know, purple hair is not gonna mean anything. Um, so instead of causing a fuss, you know, maybe just secretly pray for her or, or <laughs> rather cause a, a stink in the church. Um, and well, uh, I think that's also people just bored in their own life. Oh yeah. Really oh yeah. If that's Perfectly what you're most beautiful. worried about, I mean, wow, that must be nice <laughs> to be so worried, you know, why waste the energy, but that's all a portion yeah. of this too. So I guess we get to mm -hmm. choose forward on how we, what we focus on. Um, you know, I was not, I was one way in school, which was um, like by fifth grade, I'd received an excellence award and wow. which was the first year that they'd ever given it. So at school, I was definitely like very exemplary, but at church, that for me, I know, right? At church, that was kind of my domain. Um, and it wasn't that I don't, I wasn't a wild child, but I was a very strong, young, little human from the start. And so I, the, <laughs> I remember actually, I was talking about this the other day. I remember a former Sunday school teacher coming up to me when I was in high school and saying, I'm so glad you turned out the way you did because I really wasn't sure. Um, because uh, yeah. And she meant it. That's loaded. Moment. Yes. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> wow. Uh, thank you. <laughs> you know, um, but I can see, I was very, uh, very strong willed. And so if I didn't like the way something was going, I mean, I could rally all those little troops to do something different. And so, because that was, that I was so, I lived there, like, this is my world. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I can see that that would be just like, uh, dissenting to when you have strong children who, you know, aren't exactly compliant. I still struggle <laughs> with compliance. Um, regularly you're a so, strong independent woman <laughs> um and and learning how to balance some of that so that's what it reminded me of. so it was different for me in that in that frame I don't know that I was just openly rebellious or disrespectful but I definitely was very opinionated um, oh my goodness you're giving me <laughs> flashbacks from, from from private Christian school oh yeah uh, uh, yeah. So, um, fifth grade. So I've always been sassy. I've always had a low grade sass because high grade sass gets spankings and corporal punishment is something I, I avoid. Yeah. Um, and, um, I remember it was, uh, fifth grade year. I had my first male teacher and because he's, he's a dude and I'm like this tween little girl, I was like, I had a crush on him just de facto. You're a dude. Got it you have a crush, like there's a crush. He was like 25. And, um, uh, he was also like the girls volleyball coach. Cause that's all this little private school could afford to do. It was the only sport. And, um, I remember he, like, on my report card, you know, uh, there was, there's like this, you have your grades and then also you have like Christian character, like that's own little section he basically gives your report card on how good of a Christian you are. Um, and, wow. um, it was, uh, uses self-control in speech. Um, and in that I got a lower mark, everything else was 
perfect, perfect, perfect. And then that one, I got like a mid range. Um, and I remember just wanting so badly just to be the perfect student because I had a crush on him. I was like, I will use control in speech. So I, I bridled myself. Yeah. And, um, and that really set a path because I had that, had that people pleasing mentality right then when I was like in the middle of puberty, just starting puberty. And then, you know, the hormones come and that kind of locks it in. Like I need to be this way, but also like, I don't know anyone else's report cards, but I knew I wasn't the most vocal. I know I was, I wasn't a hellion and never had any disciplinary issues. Um, but I remember like looking back at my, myself and my growth, that was where I started toning down my sass um, to make people more comfortable, um, to be I, maybe a more ideal woman. Um, and if I could go back, I would have just been like, nah, doesn't mean anything. Um, because in, in a real world school situation, they don't, I don't think they have that area on report cards. They just give you your grades. And, and in high school, I didn't, I didn't have a she talks too much section. I think I did get things back in school about, well, we had a color flipper. Like you, you oh. had red. So it was start green, yellow, and then red. Okay. So like, let's say you, um, so it wasn't a report card, but they could write on a report card, you know, like needs to work on talking out in class or okay. something like that. But I regularly had to flip my card because I was talking too much to like other kids. So, which is not surprising, um, but yeah, so you, let's say you get in trouble once. So like, go change mm -hmm. your card, you flip it to yellow, then it goes to red and then at red, you lose recess. So you start losing freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so, losing freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the oh, way I thought. I was like, okay, yellow, you know, how bad do I want to lose this time that uh, is my free time of the day, you know, so yeah okay look looking back at that, my private christian school situation i went there for eight years kindergarten through eighth grade and then went directly into public high school um there was a clause in in the you know when you become part of the school um that you know if if you get sent to the principal's office and you know you you have corporal punishment you, you either give the parents have to sign permission for the principal to spank you with literally the paddle that's in the principal's office. Wow. Um, or <clears throat> your parents come and they spank you. Um, looking back at that now <clears throat> with the, what I know about, um, you know, um, punishment type discipline um, and the studies that have come out since then, um, I, I'm just kind of shocked. Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell other parents what to do, um, but knowing that that's an actual clause um in a school um just shocks me uh, yeah. do you do you have any any opinions on on that just to kind of throw that out there oh i didn't really even know that was a thing like not really i thought that was like from decades and decades ago so to know that that was your experience and you're younger than me that's surprising <laughs> so how do i feel well, about i mean <laughs> um I don't like that. I feel like that would be something like private in a home, but as mm -hmm. far as an institution of education, that seems like reaching. Not to say that I 
I don't think that we should have no punishment or no, you know, no rules around behavior because when you have a group of kids, you have to have some kind of expectations, but yeah, um, that seems a little bit overreaching and, and like very aggressive. Uh, I've said this before too, that like, I don't have kids. I don't imagine spanking a child, but I think several years ago, I listened to someone talk about this how they discipline their kids differently because the children had different love languages. So one child who like preferred more physical touch, like actually using a belt or spanking would be very different to a child who maybe it's more words of affirmation or quality time. So really looking at the, through the lens of like, well, how does my child receive love? And then, so like figuring out they don't have to be the same punishment, but figuring out what works for the child specifically. And that's always stayed with me. I'm like, I appreciate that because not just like everything else in life, nothing works for all people. It's, mm. it, you know, I will be motivated differently than you probably will in different areas. It's so using, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, that what we can both take from that is just knowing your child um, and knowing what your child responds best to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, looking back at it, I would, I think for, for, for me and kind of my childhood, being able to talk things out, okay, why did we have this response? Why did we have this reaction? Because um, I'm, I'm a very gentle soul anyway. Um, I, did, I did say I have a little sass, but it's, it's not spicy, I promise. Um, but um, also I kind of want to hark back a little bit um, to what we're t- talking about, um, your father and his ministry and how there were some times where it was, um, very heavy. Um, I understand that there can be heavy seasons in ministry because you're carrying the burdens of your congregation, um, stresses with programs, um, stresses with outreach, um, stresses in the family. Um, I didn't realize this until I was older, but like my family never really had very, very, very close friends. Um, or, um, or a lot of them. Um, does your family relate to this or? Yeah, I think that, I think that it can be lonely, definitely. And I think, I think choosing people who, who honor and guard your privacy, especially in leadership, it reminds me almost of, of like being friends with a celebrity, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you have access to someone who's leading uh, large groups of people, you know, you kind of have the inside track. And so showing some of those, uh, some of those things can be almost weaponized in the wrong hands. And so, yes, I would say that the circles are small and it, and having, choosing friendships too. I think it's been very helpful for uh, my parents to also have friends with other uh, pastors and their wives as well, um, just to also know what it's like. Now, I do think that I'm hoping that in the generations to come, there's not such a big disconnect between understanding that a leader in front of you is also a human. Because I think there is, there's so many expectations that are put on people, especially in the church, to almost 
operate in a way that denies their humanity. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because of that, I think that's why we've seen some of the rise in suicide in ministry as well, because that's not sustainable. No. Uh, and which your own journey, you know, speaks to that too. And I've, I've had bouts of depression. I was severely, de- I was actually severely depressed probably when you were a student. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, not at the time, not when I started, Okay. but by the first, the end of the first semester, when you would have been a freshman, I was very depressed and I went to see a therapist for the first time. I even, um, I got, I got called out by the resident director of the hall because I had other RAs who had complained that I was clicky with students and that I was not like doing my job adequately. When in reality, like I had chosen a few students who were close to me to confide in and everything else. Like I, I had an open door policy. I don't know if you remember that, but my door. Oh, you did. It was open. If it was open, I could come in. Anyway. And and that's what I wanted. I wanted, I had, I regularly had students from other floors with other RAs coming to me to resolve things. And I, I loved that in some capacity, but at that time I had not learned how to also take care of myself. So what happened for me is it was, is this this the ministry model? You give, you give, you give. Like Mm -hmm. I had this idea in my mind, well, Jesus loved everyone and he didn't ask anyone for anything back. That's how it worked for me. And so that led to massive burnout for me on my part. And so by the end of that school semester, I was like crawling to go home. Like, just like I was wrecked. Spring spring 2010? Um, Well, yeah, it would have been December. Yeah, December into January. So, and it was good. I needed a break. I remember my dad made me write out a list of every person that I was investing in and like, look at the list. (laughs) And he's like, now who's investing in you? And I had maybe like two names versus like, I I literally had a list of 60 people. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is not sustainable, nor should you carry it. I mean, I'm like, okay, pot calling the kettle black here. (laughs) But But I was trying to lead me to in that and like going, Hey, like this, this is too much. That's not your responsibility. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, do you think that there are people in the crowd there who still needed to be healed, who still needed to receive support and love? Yes. And yet he had the audacity to die that day, come back, obviously, but the point of that was to go, there was still need, there will always be need. And that's not your job to take on the needs of the world. <laughs> like no one yeah. can do that. That's why we need each other. So, um, yeah. Spring, spring 2010, it was rough. Um, and I, I remember I couldn't, I couldn't keep up faces. Um, so my 2010, I wanted to rush. I wanted to be an AGD. Um, but Georgetown, you had to be on campus to go to their special and go to their meeting in order to rush um, because freshmen can't rush their first semester. So like fall, 
everyone just goes to class, you do your thing. Spring is when you rush. And um, I remember I was planning on coming um, to one, um, to the meeting because I wanted to be AGD because uh, my sister was FIMU. And um, my great grandmother died um, over, over the break towards the end of it. So her funeral was in late January, which was the same day as the, the um, rush, you know, assembly. And um, that was, you have to go to that. And I was like, well, okay, well, there's always next year. It's no big deal. I'm still trying to make friends anyway. Still trying to keep my grades up. Like, I, I don't need to complicate things. It's fine. And um, um, I remember I came back to my, to my dorm room, which is literally just a, a room for one person um, because I originally was in a three-person room and um, those lovely ladies um, bullied me. Um, so I went into my own little broom closet on the third floor, um, which led, led me to you, which I'm thankful for. Um, and um, I was, I think it was just like a bathroom between us. I think there was just that communal bathroom between us. I don't think there was anyone else. Um, and uh, I remember uh, just being like, okay, I come back to my dorm room and I see this, you know, independent, you know, Meredith, because I, I didn't rush. So I was de facto independent, but knowing, seeing that someone took the effort to write my name and put it on my door um, was very special to me as my family was grieving um, because this matriarch kept my mom's side of the family together. And since she passed my mom's side of the family, um, we, we don't, we don't connect anymore. And um, uh, a couple of, within a month of that, uh, my grandmother um, started having um, severe issues with her lung health. And um, I remember I wanted, to, she was gonna have a biopsy at Vanderbilt. Um, and my mother, my grandmother had had lung cancer two times before in 2000 and 2005. And um, so I was like, hey, um, I wanna go down and I wanna be there. And I remember my mother saying like, no, like you're at school. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll keep you informed. She literally had to tell me you are not allowed to come down here. I was like, okay. Like I was off the hook, you know, I, even if I wanted to, I can't go down there. And um, then I remember that like a whole day, I didn't hear from her. I didn't hear anything. Cause this is literally on a Tuesday. Um, and I was hanging out with, with Andrew, Andrew Cottle Um and uh, I remember we went to Wendy's and I just, just, I just couldn't shake it. Like, um, so I dropped him back at the quad and then I came back to night hall. And um, I remember just sending like, a text to my mom, you know, Hey, like, how'd it go? You know, what's going on? Um, and then she texted me like, can I call you? And I'm like, Oh God, like this, this is, this is not good. When they asked to call instead of text. Um, so I'm, I'm alone in my dorm room. I don't really have any close friends yet. I think I would qualify you as my closest friend at Georgetown um, because everyone, I'm so used to putting up a face as being a preacher's kid. Like you can't be vulnerable, even though everyone else is. Yours is different somehow. Um, and I remember my mom, you know, telling me over the phone that um, it was cancer. It's all over both of her lungs. It's inoperable. Um, and, um, that I was like, okay, well, you know what, the, I'm kind of numb at this point. And, um, I was like, well, you know, it's, it's cancer. So what, what stage is it? And she says it's stage four. Um, but my grandmother chose not to know what stage it is. Um, and this is the, like, she's a third parent to me. My grandmother is, 
Um, and I remember just dropping to my knees in, in this one person dorm room. Um, even if people did care, I don't even know if I would let them comfort me. Um, and I thought knees give out only in movies, but they do in real life. Um, and I remember being completely and utterly alone. Um, and, you know, in having the, the knowledge that my grandmother was dying. She's the one who picked me up from school every day. She's the one who took, you got us snacks. She bought all of us, all of our clothes. Uh, Cause when both your parents are professionals, you have to have someone who can take care of you. Um, and I just remember just feeling really mad and sad because out of all the people in, in, in the world, she's the one who deserved at least her health. Um, and um, I remember I kept on going back to Bowling Green um, every, every weekend to, to reconnect with my family, to be supportive. And so that ostracized me from having relationships on campus. Um, and then um, my, my dad, uh, there was some politics in the church. Um, my mother is an attorney. She, uh, her client was suing a member of the church and the church got involved and excommunication was threatened and so um, ultimately my father left, you know, that church uh, without another plan, you know, in, in, you know to, back, to fall back on. And so I remember my father started coming to me for spiritual advice and um, I'm 19. I'm unbeknownst to me at the time, severely depressed. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I wasn't able to connect with people on Georgetown campus because I removed myself to put out fires in Bowling Green. And um, I remember I started um, skipping classes because I was so tired. I, I slept for about 19 hours a day for a week. <laughs> and then the week after I would be an insomniac and I would just be starving. I'd be eating all the things. I never would feel like I was full. And um, then there was this level of, of self-imposed shame um, because I saw your door was open and I'm like, I should probably share this, but like, you know, I need to, need to hide this. This is, this is mine to, to carry. Um, and, uh, and kind of piggybacking onto that, that's the same year I also found out my sister was pregnant, um, an unexpected pregnancy um, that yielded the most beautiful, wonderful child. I, I love my niece. Uh, she's my person. Um, but um, 2010 was bananas. Um, and, um, I know you were available to me, um, and that brought me comfort. Um, and, um, thank, thank you for, for being there. Even though I didn't seek you out as much as I should have, I, I still knew you were there and available to me. And I, I thank you for that. Well, I, um, I don't think I knew to the extent, you know, of what was going on, um, but I, I really appreciate you sharing that. That means a lot to me. Um, you know, I, going, going back to that, touching on the depression, I wonder too, as you worked with your therapist, what kind of coping mechanisms, so outside of having a therapist, what kind of coping me mechanisms did you learn to navigate that depression? Um, and I think you mentioned maybe having some anxiety in there too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, so yeah. kind of my, my secret weapons, 
Yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of learned that depression is just, I hate saying just, to me, it manifests as loneliness and emptiness, kind of at the same. Like I don't have enough energy to care. Um, and it's kind of when you've already kind of thrown the towel in. Um, and for me, what I've kind of learned about myself and it kind of ties in with my anxiety too, because I, um, I'm, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm empty, I'm lonely. And so I don't do anything. And then the anxiety happens. Well, Meredith, the world keeps on moving. You're going to fall behind. Um, you're going to let people down. The letting people down part is what always gets to me. Like, oh, I can't impact other people for the negative. Ah, I got to keep on keeping on. Um, so for me, what has helped me is being able to do just one thing. And if that is um, doing a load of laundry, you don't have to fold it. Just do a load of laundry, leave it in the dryer. Um, taking a shower. Because there were some times when just hygiene was, was a big deal for me. Um, because there, I, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but, um, there were some times in, in my, um, wellness journey where I didn't believe I was worth, um, respecting my body. So I would, I wouldn't brush my teeth. I wouldn't wash my body. Um, I, I would hide it. I would, I would do, I would do it just enough to, you know, be presentable to the world. Um, cause I wouldn't want them knowing, but I didn't think I was intrinsically worthy of that. Um, so just saying, Hey, I know you're tired today. Um, but just get out of the house, go, go get some Zaxby's. Um, you deserve a, a hot meal. Um, and just being able to say, you know, what? I didn't do anything today, but I was able to go ahead and give myself a hot meal today. Um, I was able to give myself, myself a, a warm shower. Um, so for me, it was being able to say, Hey, just do one thing. I'll take 10 seconds of courage. You'll, you'll, you'll appreciate it. Um, just kind of breaking that. And then also being brave enough to process that feeling then in the moment. Um, even if it's a, a scary, overwhelming feeling, um, just kind of, for me, find a place that's quiet, that's private. And be like, okay, what is, what is this feeling? Who, who are you? Where are you coming from? Um, cause for the longest time, it's been like, let's just paint it over. Let's just board it up. Never happened. And that's how I got to the depression is because I didn't process anything. Cause kind of stuff them all in a dark closet and said, it's not here. Um, so being able to respect myself in the moment and be like, okay, checking in with myself, what are you? And from what part of my life are you coming from? Is it coming from an insecurity um, do I have a need that's not being met? Um, did someone say something that, um, that went against my values and that hurt? Um, so just for me, honoring myself in the moment, I don't put myself on the back burner when it comes to emotions. Okay, Meredith, what's going on? Um, and sometimes if it's with like a significant other or a family member, sometimes I have to be like, Hey, like, let me think about this for a little bit. Let me process it first. So it doesn't all just happen then there in the moment. Sometimes it can take days, um, but being patient with yourself in, in that journey. Well, I, I appreciate that. And then, you know, you mentioned earlier, this reminds me of that too. You mentioned how like learning to make it okay to have all the emotions, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that you're talking about experiencing those. Um, I... I also relate to some of that as well, because I'm an eight wing seven on the Enneagram and seven, okay. sevens do not like 
experiencing those sadness emotions. And so I've recognized some of that in myself where I can hold such space for other people doing it. But when it's me, I'm like, this is not fun. Like, this is not fun. No one's going to want to hang out with you. Like you need to get it together. But I've realized that if I, especially over this last year and navigating grief, I have learned that if I will give myself full permission to experience the emotion and cry or whatever it is without any kind of judgment and let it work itself through and out, um, I feel so much better because I have found that's like what, what is repressed <laughs> stays and it will come back in weird ways for me it comes out in anger towards probably usually Sergio Serge has borne a lot of my anger because unfortunately um that undercurrents my eight and so he can bear the brunt of that explosiveness that will happen if I don't do the work that I have to do for myself Um, and so I wanted to just also be open around some of that because I think that I, Glennon, it's Glennon Doyle. Um, she wrote, I think in one of her books, she was, she, she had been going to some AA meetings and are you familiar with Glennon? Um, not that I can, not that I'm aware of. Okay. We'll have a conversation about her outside of this, but yes, someone you need to absolutely know. Um, and she, so she went, she started going to AA recovering. She was recovering, um, alcoholic bulimic. And, um, I think she might've gone back and forth between bulimia and anorexia. So there was a lot going on as far as unmet needs and someone at one of the meetings she went to, she was like, well, feelings are made to be felt. Like that's what they're there for after all. And I'm like, that needs to be inscribed on like every person's, you know, mantle somewhere. At least I, I don't know for other cultures, I can't speak for any of those things, but I, I think that the full permission is even as kids for children to be able to experience these loud emotions these sadness and for us to not go like suck it up deal with it get over it but Mm -hmm. to go you know I for you know for example maybe something scary I recognize that this could be scary it's okay that you're scared Mm -hmm. and to give that same permission that we would to a child back to ourselves oh like it 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 makes perfect sense um I mean my whole mental wellness journey as an adult has been, I think I could say a key word to be validation. It's validation, you know, um, because I, whether I was explicitly told or I came to the conclusion I wasn't allowed to have certain emotions um, and then I never was able to express them. And as an adult, you know, saying things and you're like, well, well why? You know, you, God has given us these emotions for a reason and they serve a purpose. Um, and I'm not going to go ahead and say, well, you know, God's a God of wrath. So he gets it. You know, um, I, I think that's one of the ways that we are made in his image. We have emotions. Um, and um, just being told it's okay to be angry, but acting out in anger is bad. It's okay to be sad, 
just don't act out in sadness. And so, um, you know, it's kind of the, the behavior, but the emotions are the validating part. Um, and I love just how simple and go figure that phrase is feelings are meant to be felt like, duh. And it, I like that those moments when you're just so simple um, and it's so just attainable. But no, I, I agree. Um, validating emotions in adults, in my opinion, is just as important as validating it or it, um, validating it at feelings in, in children. And I feel like if you validate children, it'll help them in their adult journey. Absolutely. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think too, just making, I think sometimes we get wrapped around wanting to change someone's opinion or outcome or solving a problem that we feel like they might be having instead of just being present and just listening and also not only making space for the person to experience whatever they're experiencing, but then sitting down, like figuratively literally and going, how can I support you right now? Or my, one of my favorite things, cause I've, I've learned this as a coach. <laughs> one of my favorite tools as a coach is to ask, do you want feedback? Oh yes. Uh, you want, um, feedback or um support uh what was that like well like I'll even say this to close friends of mine right mm -hmm. because I'll recognize I'm like oh I wanted to go in coach mode I really I'm struggling yeah so right now do you need me to just be supportive and encouraging to you or do you want my feedback yeah <laughs> and sometimes sometimes like I just need you to be supportive. And I'm like, yeah, totally fine. We'll oh my goodness. That route. <laughs> like 2020. Um, oh, it was such a, a big year personal growth for me. It's when I decided to go back to school. Um, and the thing is, if it weren't for the pandemic, I, I wouldn't have been able to do school and work. I wouldn't have been able to get the stimulus check to pay for my class. Um, it, it just really was a, a God thing. Um, am I thankful for the pandemic? No. Um, but did I receive a silver lining from it? Yes. Um, because whereas before with me being a director at Chick-fil-A at the time, I, I wouldn't have been able to, to do that. Um, but when we all quarantined, looking back at it, the, the Lord provided me with three therapists, <laughs> my, my father with his family marital skills. Cause there were a few times where I was like, dad, like I, I need to talk with you um, because since I was still working with the public, cause I was working at Chick-fil-A at the time, um, I was literally told by my mother, you cannot come over, you cannot see us. Um, this is when all of my family's under one roof uh, cause my mother was the caregiver of my grandparents. And uh, uh, my grandmother's still alive. She's still taking her um, uh, chemotherapy for, uh, for lung cancer. Lord is good. Um, and so I was just kind of told, Hey, don't come over. Um, and so I had three months of no contact with my family and, um, and having that, those emotional, um, connections just stretch, um, was really painful for me. Um, and just being able to talk with my father and, um, kind of hear, hear his point of view, his, his kindness, his ministry, his training, um, helped me a lot. And then my, my personal therapist, 
Megan, um, you know, she helped me with, with my, my growth. And um, also my, my boyfriend, he's a um, LMFT. So he's a licensed family marital counselor, um, therapist. And um, so having these three therapists get me through um, quarantine um, really helped me. And I think it basically created a, um, I guess a pressure chamber of all of my, my thoughts and, and feelings and emotions um, to really manifest. Um, I had a realization um, last year that I had childhood trauma and I was like, Megan, like, I think I have childhood trauma. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, did you know this whole time? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's just being able to, to sit down with my feelings and my thoughts and my experiences. And then also the Lord revealed to me um, that I want to help other family systems. I want to be able to empower individuals. Um, I want to be able more specifically empower women, um, you know, to I'll say this, be their, their healthiest selves. Um, and it, and, um, and how everything was able to kind of line up to finish my degree and then start communications with uh, WKU's counseling department. Um, I pray that this is, you know, a calling that can manifest this year. I am absolutely terrified because I know it's kind of out of my hands in some, some way. Um, but I don't even know what I was going through with going for with all this. Um, I guess just a declaration at this point, <laughs> but, um, uh, how the Lord just kind of puts key people in at a key time and, um, how much things can change in a year, um, for, for the good, for, for the worst, and just for just the journey in between. Um, I, um, I'm excited about new things, but also like right now in being in a season of change, I feel so awkward. I feel so weird. Um, I don't know if, if you have this mentality, but I feel like I'm almost only as good as the things I can offer people. So when I'm growing on myself and I can't offer things to other people, I have to do a self-check like, Hey, time out, Meredith, you are worthy, whether you give things to people or not. Um, and so being able to more or less be still in this moment of change and know that I am valuable, whether I, um, am doing X, Y, and Z or not. Um, so. No, I do relate. Um, there were moments, there were moments at the beginning of dealing with dad's death where I had to take my foot off the gas pedal mm -hmm. and that was um, uncomfortable for me because I'm pretty driven and feeling like if I had to tell someone, hey, not today, or I'm gonna need more time or I'm at max capacity, learning how to um, give myself the space that I needed and still saying like, because you're not being productive in quotes, you still have value. And in fact, um, that learning some of those skills, because I do think they're skills, I don't think that they're anything that is inaccessible to someone else. I think that we're so overworked in our society, learning how to rest, how to play, how to have margin, <laughs> these are all things that I feel like grief has allowed me, well, grief and the pandemic mm -hmm. have 
have challenged me to address for myself. Um, I have only recently like started to, I'm not a napper, but there have been times over the last few months where I felt like I just need to recharge. And I would, I used to view lapses or laps, <laughs> naps as lazy, not for other people necessarily, but for myself, like you have so many yeah. things that you could be doing, like, why would you sleep? And so, um, and you know, I have very good friends in my life, Serge being one of them, my best friend, Katie, they love to sleep. They love it. But I'd always had this mentality, like there's already not enough time in the day to do all the things that I want to do. And so, <laughs> so no, there's not time for a nap, <laughs> but even recognizing, no, that's what I need. And it's okay to have a pace that honors, um, longevity and endurance as opposed to like what's here right now like let's let's go let's go let's go and so learning how to do that for myself but making you know not making your value based on what you produce or what you check off your list it's not so much about achieving things as it is about being fulfilled in the things that you're working toward so um and that's been a value shift that's something that I work on with clients, right? But thing that like allowing to myself has been like, okay, well, how about you take your own advice? So it's definitely been, um, been a journey in that way. And I want to say just on the note of trauma, uh, mm-hmm. well, I think sometimes people can be triggered by that word. They don't want to think that they have trauma or that trauma feels too big uh, to label what they may have come through. And I think that trauma, I don't even have a definition in front of me, but for me, uh, it just means that you went through something, uh, in your life, in your experience of life that wasn't right or fair to you in your full capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be anything from having a car accident to something that just didn't sit right with you in an interaction. Now, and there would be people who are like, well, that's kind of reaching. But at the same time, I think that if we would make more space to deal with um, some of those things that have come up for us when we felt like our voice was taken away or we had to, or we had to stay small or into a, a tighter box, because um, I felt that way a lot growing up. You mentioned that too, being being a woman in the Southern Baptist faith. That's a whole, you know, like other area we could even talk about, but yeah, it was the first job I ever wanted. And I was told I couldn't cause I'm a girl. Pastor. Uh-huh. Interesting. I loved God and I loved people. It made sense. And they're like, no, you can't, you're wrong. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I think that, I think that in any capacity where you have had to learn how to survive in ways that don't honor the fullness of who you are could be seen as traumatic and is traumatic, especially when you have to learn how to, um, you're just surviving. You're surviving in your world by the powers that be. And so I just wanted to put a plug in there too. I think that we all have things that we've come through in our life that would benefit from having uh, someone walk through with us and, and just hold that space for us, who is, like, as you said, unbiased and, um, and who just wants the best for us. 
And I will also add that I was talking to someone last night about therapists. I said, they're kind of like jeans. Like it may not work for you the first time, you know, or a relationship. You don't just marry the first person that you date. Sometimes you do, but it's very often that you may have a therapist for a season and, or you may have to try multiple therapists until you find a therapist that works for you. Um, I think that that's really important for people to understand because if you've had a bad experience in therapy, don't knock the whole thing, (laughs) you know, try again and see if it works. Um, Because there are so, I just think there's so much benefit to, to having that space that's just for you and, and that healing. So um, I know we're like, we're here at time. So is there anything else like you want to add Meredith or I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm grateful to be here too. Um, I, um, I will say kind of in closing, um, I, I love your all encompassing, um, take on, on trauma because what's traumatizing to one person isn't necessarily traumatizing to the next and so on and so forth. Um, and so that way we're able to bring everyone's journey to the table and validate that. So, so thank you for that. Um, I, um, I'm just very grateful to catch up with you. Um, thank you for giving um, me a platform to share my story um, and hopefully it will help others in their journey. And um, I'm, I'm here for you on and off camera. Um, I think you're a wonderful person and um, it brings me great joy to see that you are um, using your skills and your heart to, um, to better yourself in the community around you. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. I really, I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We should definitely, maybe we could do a series on pastor's kids. That would be an interesting. There's a lot to cover. Yeah. We could invite multiple, you know, PKs into the mix and just, and just see where it goes and maybe it airs and maybe it doesn't, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, I'll say like, I I hate to like, you know, do this, this last little topic at the end, but, um, like when people found out you're a pastor's kid, did they, and like immediately ask you if you were a good girl or a bad girl. Yes. Yes. So yeah. were you, were you a good PK or were you like, a, they would say a typical PK? Oh, these were typical with you. Typical. So typical, which meant like, you know, you're kind of causing trouble. You're, you're a dissenter almost, you know, and, and to be fair for those dissenting PKs, you know, to have your childhood be one where you're constantly told that you can't be a child and, and, you know, don't have the full range or freedom to just be a kid. And that's not always just for PKs, but I'm just going to say, you know, that's a common experience I've heard when we have discussions um, as fellow PKs. Uh, Yeah, that would make you angry and want to act out too, I think. So (laughs) It's it's a natural human response. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I think too, I, I actually, and when I was in high school and the first couple years of college, I worked, um, in after school programs here where I'm from, and I would work with elementary school age children. And there was one specific summer where, um, they had a really large class of like first grade boys and girls. So they ended up separating the boys and girls. Um, because they just had so many of that age group and the first grade boys were just like unruly and I was the only person who they would listen to because 
I would allow them to be rowdy when they could, but they had clearly defined like, okay, if you do this, this is what will happen. But there were a couple kids across the grades who were very problematic and who would get sent to me as well because we would develop a relationship. I think there was something I could understand in them. Uh, and, and a lot of times too, when you actually lean into a kid who's acting out a lot, you'll find that their home life is pretty hellacious. And that's what I found over and over with those, those kiddos. You know, I remember one distinct two, one distinct time where I'm sitting on a playground with one of these kids who had been having problems constantly sitting down to our director and that had all but stopped because I gave him some, some responsibility with our group and I bonded with him and just listened. And one of the things I'll never forget, he had like a cut on his face and I was like, Hey bud, what happened to your face? He was like, well, it got hit with a beer bottle. I said, Oh, it did. And I said, so tell me more about that. And it turned out the police had been at his house the night before there was an issue with the mom's boyfriend, you know, and I talked to um, our director, like what, what are our next steps that we need to do here, but just so we can triage some of that. So I think a lot of times do, and this is the same for adults, not that adults get a free pass to just be unruly and miserable towards other people but also recognize that adage that hurting people hurt people or when you're seeing someone respond in such a way that it's like wow that was extreme I wonder like I wonder what preceded that moment for them and again I'm not excusing bad behavior I'm just saying let's be curious and recognize again that there's a human being having a human experience <laughs> and sometimes that experience is really messy and hard and we don't know how to deal with it. Well, I, I, I agree with you like hundred percent and excusing and understanding are two different things. And I think um, as Christians um, or just well, even lower even more, just people, just people. Um, understanding is what brings peace and what ultimately brings love. Um, and I know a lot of us can be afraid of understanding because understanding also brings responsibility. And you were prepared, I hope it sounds like 110% to just love and care for that, that child and those children and give them a safe place. And um, you were ready for that responsibility. You're ready for that peace and ready for that love. And um, that's an amazing ministry. And um, I, don't, I don't know who that child is. I don't know who those children are. Um, but I am pretty confident that you made an impact in their life because when people come in that capacity who are that safe place, um, you don't forget them. They're with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. I hope that's true. I, I would love for that to be true, but I just, I just want, I want more people to be aware of the impact and the influence that they can have when we'll just stop and slow down and like really lean in and, and be curious about the behavior over like correcting. We can correct it but overcorrecting or oversimplifying. We had another worker I remember who said, well, that kid's gonna be on America's Most Wanted one day. And I'm like, he's a child. Like you, that's, that is a really powerful label to put on a child and then will it forward. Because what we do in that capacity is then we, we inscribe for them their trajectory. When instead, like, what if he had been like, you know what? I wonder what's going on at home. I wonder 
I wonder what he's dealing with. Um, how can I help? Because there's incredible potential for each and every person. So if we look at potential instead of limitation, and that's a, again, a whole other conversation <laughs> around, around so many um, experiences and opportunities that we have in our interactions with everyone all day long, like no, regardless of age. So um, yeah. You are a treasure trove of wonderful, wonderful topics. And Lord knows I could talk to you all day and all night um and just hearing hearing these topics and hearing your feedback oh ooh, yeah you're just you're, i'm gonna i could talk to you all day 100 100 we'll have to do it again for sure so do yeah and i'm really excited for you on your journey and and this Thank next you. stage uh it's definitely gonna be it'll be awesome and uh, I will, i'll keep you posted i'll keep you posted i'm looking forward to it all right well um until next time, we'll All right. uh, chat again. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. You too. so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed having you along for the ride. And if you want to stay in touch, because you also hate goodbyes like me, um, you can head over to Instagram. That's where I hang out some. My handle's just at Evelyn Fusen. I'd love to connect with you there. Um, and again, I'd love to hear from you by email if you just want to share something that you know, resonated with you or you took away from the episode. I love hearing from you. And finally, if you are enjoying the show and it's something that you feel led to do, I would love for you to leave a review for me wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help get the word out about this podcast. And um, yeah, I would just love to have more people as part of this conversation. I really, really am grateful for you. So until next time.